recently as the Delta variant really began surging, we had several of our church members contact us and uh, express concern about making contact with different things and, and ask us to kind of reevaluate going back to passing the plate. So that's why we've not been passing the plate in recent services, but we have the offering boxes as you exit the, the door so that you can drop your offering without having to uh, touch anything in that anyone else has touched. So I just encourage you to, to be uh, aware of that. You know, it's amazing to me how the Lord has provided for his churches uh, all over North America, even through this pandemic. If you'd have told me five years ago, there'll be a time when churches everywhere will not even be able to meet in person for months. And uh, even when they do come back, a third to half of folks will stay in hibernation for safety, but they'll still maintain their offerings and their budget. I I just don't know that I would have believed that, but that's been the case uh, pretty much everywhere. I was talking with somebody from the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and he said all across the state, uh, churches are seeing their offerings remain steady and stable, and that's been the the case here as well. And isn't that a great testimony? I guess that's because if you're going to tithe, you're going to tithe, right? And if you're not, you're not. And so today we're beginning a new series. We're looking at Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 30. Now, recently we looked at the the earlier part of this uh, chapter, and we would have maybe gone straight through, but I've just learned the hard way that, that we have a shorter attention span than we used to. So I just broke it up a little bit. And so we're coming right back where we were when the G- Jesus has just finished having uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. Earlier in this chapter, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders in Jerusalem were plotting together to kill Jesus. But they had already determined it wasn't going to happen during the Passover feast because that might cause a riot. Of course, you and I know they're not in control, are they? So they didn't get any choice about that. The Lord had already determined before they ever born that he was going to offer himself during the Passover feast. And so in Bethany, a a woman anoints him to prepare him for his burial. And even as he tells his disciples, they, they can't grasp it or understand And the Bible tells us about how Judas made his decision to betray Jesus. And Jesus gathers his disciples together in an upper room. And together they celebrate the Passover. In verse 30, we pick up where they are going out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is about to spend his last night with the disciples before the crucifixion it will be a painful night Jesus will be abandoned and denied by his closest followers Judas one of the 12 disciples will betray him and Peter perhaps the boldest most outspoken of all the disciples who told Jesus he was ready to die. Well, three times, deny even knowing Jesus. It's easy for us, I think, to focus on the disciples and wonder how someone who had seen Lazarus raised from the dead and paralyzed people walk and blind people see and A few loaves and fishes feed thousands. 
who had heard Jesus teach like no one had ever taught before. It's hard for us to imagine how someone having experienced all this firsthand with Jesus could not stay with him through this final night. But today I don't want us to focus on the disciples. Today I want us to focus on Jesus. What he did, what he said in his response. You see, the disciples, it's true, they, they failed him in many, many ways. But the reality is, is that the only disciple that's never failed Jesus is the one who's never tried to follow. More honest with ourselves, if we ever commit ourselves to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be times in our life when we are going to fail. And the Christian life is full of ups and downs because we still have our sinful nature. And following Jesus involves putting that to death and taking on a new way of life. And in many phases of our life, the Christian journey is two steps forward, one step back. All of us will have times when we fail miserably. And so if you've been there or realize you will be someday, this message is for you. It should be a great message of encouragement as we see what Jesus did for his disciples, even in the midst of their failure. Matthew chapter 26, I want to ask you to join me in standing as we pick up reading in verse 30. The Bible says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, they meaning Jesus and his disciples. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that your son loved his disciples then and loves his disciples now, even in the midst of our sin. Lord, help us to be moved by your love for us to love you in return. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Most of us know what's about to happen is Jesus is going to be denied by his disciples, most explicitly by Peter, whom the Bible records three different instances in which he'll deny even knowing Jesus. 
But do you know that Jesus revealed the denial of his disciples in the 6th century B.C.? The prophet Zechariah in the 6th century B.C. Jesus revealed what was going to happen that night. What's amazing about this is that when Jesus knew he was just hours away from being abandoned by his disciples, he sang a hymn with them. That's what the Bible says. They've celebrated the Passover. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And until that, that last statement, when Jesus says that one of them is going to betray him, none of Jesus' words or actions would ever betray that he was in the midst of disciples that would deny him and abandon him. And as they conclude the Passover meal, and they, they sing a hymn. There was a group of Psalms, I believe it's 113 to 118, that were often sung at the conclusion of the Passover meal. We obviously don't know which one Jesus was singing, or perhaps he was singing a different hymn. But what is important is not what he sang, but that he sang. I couldn't help but think about this song, Reckless Love. The songwriter wrote, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. Can you imagine that night? There are the disciples, and they're going out to the Mount of Olives. They don't fully understand what's about to happen, but they are committed. They're committed, and they believe. Peter boldly says he's ready to die. And yet Jesus knows that none of them are capable. They'll all fall away. And yet in the midst of knowing their failure in advance, he sings over them think about this the first part of this service we sang to the lord in every moment that we've ever spent singing to the lord the lord received our worship not only knowing our past sins but also seeing our our future sins see that's the amazing thing about god he loves us beyond our sin Jesus knew what his disciples were about to do. But he also knew that they were going to come back in repentance. And he was going to restore them. And he was going to use them greatly. Because Jesus sings with sinners not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Every moment that we've ever spent in worship is really an act of grace of God. As he receives from us knowing Knowing the failures we'll have this week in thought or deed or intention or weakness. And at this moment, Jesus is singing with his disciples. As the disciples walk out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with Jesus for the last time, he was working to prepare them for what was about to happen. The Bible says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
Think about the compassion of Jesus to be hours away from being denied by his closest followers, and he is focused on serving those who are about to deny him. You see, Jesus showed us what it means to serve people. We often become discouraged or disillusioned if someone in our own church family sins against us. Have you ever experienced this? We all want to think that we're, that we're giants of the faith and amazing how one rude comment can just send us into discouragement. When people in our own church family sin against us, it often disillusions people or discourages them. But the message of this moment in the life of Jesus is that even when you know people will abandon you, serve them anyway. After all, can we call it service if we know that we will only receive good in return for our effort? Jesus, when he called Peter to be his disciple, he already knew that on that night, Peter would deny him. And yet he called him. He made him one of the 12. Then he made him one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And later, Later, he would call him. To be one of the greatest leaders in the early church. As Paul would go to the Gentiles and Peter would go to the Jews. Peter would become a giant. But only after repeated failure you see this night was not the only failure that peter would have do you remember jesus tried to explain to his disciples that he was about to be crucified and peter was so bold that he pulls jesus aside to correct him and he says to jesus you have to stop talking like this this will never happen to you and what did jesus say to peter he said get behind me satan it's a pretty strong rebu rebuke to receive from the Lord, isn't it? And yet Peter received it because the Lord Jesus loved him even beyond his sin. And the same is true for us. You see, when we see people in church, in leadership, in ministry, and they fail in some way, this is not evidence that Christianity is a hoax. This is evidence that we are all in need of the grace of God. Ultimately, every person is a mess in need of a Redeemer. Every occupation that you choose in life will have certain benefits and rewards and, and cons and pros. One of the things that's interesting about being a pastor is that you get intimately involved in the lives of people from all walks of life. Wealthy people, poor people, healthy people, sick people, brilliant people, people who need a lot of encouragement. Every walk of life. Someone was talking to me this week. They were, they were deeply discouraged because they got to know someone better and they didn't like what they saw. 
And I said, can I, can I just be honest with you? The only reason you like people is because you don't know them. I've pastored churches long enough to get to know some people. And I'm telling you, we are all, all a mess. Some of us are really good at covering it up and hiding it. But we are all in need of Redeemer. Every single one of us. That's what the Bible says we must bear with one another. And so if you're here today and there's been a time in your life that you've not been what you thought you should be, well, praise the Lord. You've reached the first step of admitting that you're a sinner. You know, that's how you join the church. You admit that you're a sinner. When people make their little remarks, and I haven't heard too many since I've been here. I pastored this church in North Carolina. had a horrible reputation. And people would go out and visit, and people would say things all the time about people in my church. And they'd say, there's, there's some horrible people down there. I said, you know, that's the first thing you have to do to join the church is admit you're a horrible person. That's what we do is we say that we're sinners. We ask for forgiveness. That's how you get in to begin with. This is a great misconception today that the church is full of people that are claiming to be perfect. Peter had all kinds of problems. And so did the other disciples. Jesus is trying to lead them to be his witnesses in the world, to establish the early church, and they're bickering among themselves about who's going to sit on his right hand and who's going to be the greatest. They had all kinds of problems. But Jesus loved them beyond their sin, and he'll love us beyond our sin as well. Zechariah is the Old Testament prophet to whom Jesus revealed that his disciples would abandon him. In verse 31, he would quote him. He says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That when he says, For it is written, that's in the prophet Zechariah, 6th century B.C., six centuries earlier, Jesus revealed. You, you understand, Father, Son, and Spirit are all working together. Every scripture, doesn't matter who wrote it, was all inspired by God. He revealed what would take place this, this night. It was no surprise to him. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible tells us why Jesus would go to the cross anyway. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember that follower of Jesus named Nathaniel? The Bible tells us about Jesus' first words with Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Didn't mean he was without sin, but he meant that he was not living a lie. He was a person of transparency and integrity. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You know, Jesus saw you as well. He saw all of your sin and all of your failures, and he loved you anyway.
When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross in spite of our sin. He went because of it. If we think for a moment about Jesus going out from the Passover meal, singing with those who were about to demand, abandon him, trying to strengthen them and prepare them for what was to lie ahead, knowing that they would fail. But that's who he is. He loves us. Even at our worst moments, he loves us. We're not here today because we're perfect people. We're here today because we are loved people. We are blessed people. The Lord Jesus Christ loved you. You're the reason he went to the cross. It was not just for Peter's sin. It was for my sin and your sin. Before they had even accepted, they would deny him. Jesus was already planning for their restoration and future ministry. Notice what he says to them in verse 32. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. See, Jesus foretold of his resurrection so his disciples would believe when it happened. Jesus had once told the religious leaders early in his ministry, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. He was, of course, talking about the temple of his body. They thought he was talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. But in John 2, 22, listen to what it says. It says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus told his disciples in advance what he was going to do so that when it happened, they would understand it was not happenstance or luck or coincidence it was the sovereign plan of God being executed all along. And here in this moment, as they're leaving the Passover meal and they're going out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is just saying over his disciples who are about to abandon him. He's trying to prepare them. And he's already told them that they will, they will scatter. And they don't believe him. But Jesus says, but after I am raised up, He foretold also of his future ministry with the disciples, even after they would deny him. He says, I will go before you to Galilee. Now remember, Jesus is talking to a group of people that are about to run in fear. Peter, three times, they're going to say, aren't you one of them? And he says, man, I don't even know him. On this very night, just hours after Peter would say, if they all fall away, I'm ready to die with you. But Jesus knew better. He understood their weakness. He foresaw their failures. But he looked beyond their sin to what he was going to do with their life. And so he says, after I'm raised, I will go before you in to Galilee. Have you ever thought, how could God use me after what I've done? You know what the Bible says about Peter after he denied Jesus the third time? It says that he went out and he wept bitterly. I wonder that night what Peter was thinking as he wept bitterly. I wonder if he thought this is the end of my ministry. 
But if you read the book of Acts, you'll know it was just the beginning. Peter was not finished. He was just getting started. You know why? Because Jesus loved him beyond his sin. And so before he'd even denied him, Jesus has given him instructions. He says, after I'm raised, I will go before you in to Galilee. There are no perfect people, only a perfect Savior. And our hope is not to be placed in our complete obedience, but in the limitless grace of God. There may not be a time in your life when you'll deny knowing Jesus or you'll run in fear. But all of us will have times of failure, times where we're in need of the grace of God. As the disciples are trying to cope with what Jesus said, they see that they didn't even understand the extent of their need. Peter, especially, he's the one who usually says what everyone else is thinking. He greatly underestimated his need for grace. Verse 33, he says, Though they all fall away, I will never fall away. You know what the Bible teaches us in Proverbs? Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Like Cain, we must all recognize that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to us, but we must rule over it. Years ago, it was about, about 22 years ago, I was sitting in a class at Southern Seminary. A professor who's retired now was teaching class on spiritual formation and ministry. And during that class, he, he talked about the different people. He was a senior adult at this point in his life. He talked about all these different people that he had taught, he had seen go on to ministry, and they got caught up in an affair, embezzled money from church. And he looked at that class, and there was about 50 of us in there at that moment in that particular class. And I remember as plain as day, he says, oh, I know. He says, I know what you little self-righteous punks are thinking right now. You're thinking that those are horrible, miserable people, and you are better. He says, I'm telling you now, don't ever let your guard down. None of us are beyond falling. That was the true for Peter, and it's true for all of us. Peter said that night, he said, Lord, I'll never fall away. Pride, pride, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Let us be honest with ourselves and before God about our need for his grace. Jesus knew exactly how each disciple would fail, and he loved them anyway. And so he calls Peter out specifically. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. When you find yourself overwhelmed with guilt, remember that the day God saved you, he knew every sin you would ever commit. 
and he saved you anyway. When you think you can no longer serve because of your sin, remember that the day God called you to serve, he never future sin you would ever commit. And he called you anyway. The grace of God is not to be abused as some excuse or license to sin. But it means that when we come in repentance, we can be restored. God is not finished with us because he looks beyond our sin and sees what he wants to do with our lives. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. We need to be careful not to rely on our own power or depend upon our own obedience. If you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to need a power beyond yourself. None of us are smart enough, strong enough, created enough. None of us are able to do on our own what God is calling us to do. But praise the Lord, he's not left us on our own. In Acts 1-8, listen to what Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. The same power is available to us today. Last night, I was putting the final thoughts on my sermon. I prayed. And I said, God, anoint me with the Spirit to speak to the people. This morning, as I did my final preparation, I prayed. I asked God to forgive me of my sin and to use me in this message. Because I am not able on my own to speak into your life and you're not either but we're not on our own we have the power of the holy spirit who enables us to do what god calls us to do peter failed i failed you try long enough and you'll fail but there's grace for that god loves us even in our worst moments. And today, maybe you're deeply discouraged. Maybe you're overwhelmed with guilt. Where you are today may be a surprise to you, but it's no surprise to God. Jesus knew his disciples were about to abandon him, and he sang over them. Friend, that's the grace of God. That's the love of God. And so today in this moment, I want you to reflect on not who you are, but who he is. 
Not how miserably you may have failed, but how perfect he's willing to restore if only we'll come in repentance. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus who died in our place so that we could experience this grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that's trying to save themselves through good works or perfection, Father, I pray today they'd abandon that and put their faith and hope in your son. Lord, use us for your honor and for your glory. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, he loved his disciples even in the midst of all their failures, and he loves you too. The Bible says that every single one of us has the same condition. Jesus knew about it before he came to this earth. He knew about it before you were born. That condition is called sin. It's a condition in which we fall short of the glory of God and, and fail miserably in so many different ways. When we reach the point in our life that we understand that we've sinned against God, that's when we're ready to be forgiven. Most people start out trying to save themselves. If you ask the average person today, are you going to go to heaven? Most people will say either I think so or I hope so. And if you ask them why, they'll say, well, I've tried to be a good person. Peter tried to be a good disciple. You saw how that worked out, didn't you? None of us are capable of being good enough to pay for our sin. But that's okay. Because Jesus did what we're not able to do. He lived a perfect life. And the reason that he went to the cross was so that you could be forgiven. And this morning, if you were to simply ask, God would give you this forgiveness as a free gift. Those are his words, not mine, by the way, straight out of the Bible. A free gift. So I want to invite you this morning. Maybe you've never realized that God loves you even in spite of your sin. Maybe you've never realized that God can still use you, that he still wants to transform your life, even after all you've done and will do. But it's true. That's the grace and that's the mercy of God. So today, I invite you to say a prayer. Ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior and to forgive your sins. Commit your life to follow him. For those of us here today that are disciples, it's a roller coaster ride. We often find out very quickly how weak the flesh truly is. And we'll find ourselves in moments of failure in which we're embarrassed, discouraged, and overcome with guilt. And if that's where you are today, you're one prayer away from experiencing peace and restoration. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So this morning as we sing, I beg you to respond to God.